We turn again now to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're learning these days from God's Word about the habits of grace, the rhythms and the disciplines of the Christian life by which we grow in our grasp of God's grace. And last week, the particular habit that we got to talking about was repentance. It ought to be true of us that we're regularly flexing those spiritual muscles in the course of a day, in the course of a week. It ought to be true of us that we're regularly turning back to God when we're convicted of some sin that we've committed against Him, and that's what repentance amounts to. It's a turning from sin back to God. And last Sunday, we turned to this chapter. 2 Corinthians 7, to learn about repentance. And remember, happily, the reason that Paul is talking about repentance in 2 Corinthians 7 is that the Corinthians had, in fact, repented. That was the good news that he'd gotten. They had repented. On the front end, it was godly grief that led to their repentance in the first place. That's what gave birth to it, godly grief over their sin. And then on the back end, it was salvation that resulted from their repentance because they had gone back to God, God who forgives, God who transforms, salvation without regret. So that's what we considered last week when we turned to this chapter. This week, we're going to dig a bit more deeply into one of the things that Paul says in the same passage, and it has to do with the idea of zeal. Paul mentions zeal several times here, and it's noteworthy, so we're going to note it. So listen to the passage again. I'll read it for us, beginning at verse 5, down to verse uh, 13. And remember, at this point, Paul and his companions are on their way down to Corinth. They haven't gotten there yet. They're still to the north in the region of Macedonia. That's where he gets the good news that the Corinthians have repented. So they're on their way to Corinth, and as they're on their way, he writes this letter and reflects upon his recent travels. Verse 5, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, 
What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. So these were Paul's words to the Corinthians. They are God's word to us today. And so let's pray together now. Father, we do thank you for your words. And we do trust that this is your word, these things written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. And so we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And we ask this with our eyes on Christ and praying in his name. Amen. Way, way back in October of 1517, when Martin Luther stirred up all that trouble by proposing those 95 theses, those 95 statements that he thought would be good for theological debate, the very first one of the 95 was this statement. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life of believers, said Luther, is to be one of repentance. And he was right. The phenomenon that we call repentance, this reality that is turning back to God after sin, it shapes the whole Christian life from beginning to end. Not just the very beginning of the Christian life when we take the big turn back to God that sets the course for the rest of our lives. But then all of the little turns every day, all of those little moments every day when we realize that we've failed our Father in some way and we're led to go back to Him for mercy, to be forgiven, and to seek His power so that we'll rise up in new obedience after all. Repentance is, you might say, a spiritual, moral U-turn from sin back to God. Sometimes when you're driving and you've got to make a U-turn, you can be plagued by doubts and hesitancy and uncertainty after you've made it because you're not sure if it was the right call. Should I really have turned around Or was that a colossal mistake and I've only made things worse? Google Maps said the traffic up ahead was really bad, but sometimes Google Maps is really bad. And I should have ignored it and kept going. Or the weatherman said that the weather up ahead was going to be really bad, but sometimes a weatherman is a weatherman. And I should have kept going. So you made the U-turn. You're now headed back in the other direction, but you can't shake the sense that you're not sure, and it shows. You keep checking Google Maps to see if it's telling you to turn around again, or maybe some other app to get a second opinion. 
Or you keep checking the weather to see if the forecast has changed. And you keep muttering to yourself and looking for exits and looking around to see what other cars are doing and if they're going to keep going too. So you made the U-turn. You're headed back in the other direction, but it's doubts and it's hesitancy and it's uncertainty. You're lacking enthusiasm for this decision you've made. You're lacking zeal. But then there are those other times, those happy times, when it's crystal clear that you made the right call turning around as you did, when you did. Because you could look down the road and you could see with your own eyes the multi-car pile up that you were heading towards. Google Maps was right. Or you get a call from your friend, the friend that you're driving to visit, and they say, so far we've got a foot of snow on the ground and it is not letting up. The weatherman was right. Don't make this trip. And in those cases, you make that U-turn and you make it with zeal. You're grateful for the new course you're on and you're persuaded and you're relieved and there's no looking back, no doubts, no hesitancy, no uncertainty. You're abounding in zeal and so you just turn on the music and sing your way home. Because it's so clear that you made the right call. That's a good U-turn, right? That's a U-turn that you can feel good about, that you can feel zealous about. And repentance, biblical repentance, the kind of thing that Paul's talking about here, is a U-turn like that. Or it ought to be. It ought to be the case that whenever... We turn from sin and go back to God. We do so with zeal in such a way that it shows because it's always the rightest of right calls. And we're so glad that we made it. Just like the Corinthians did. The Corinthians had to turn back to God because they'd sinned against God. Apparently, piecing together the clues, we talked about this last week, apparently they'd sinned against Paul. So that Paul had to write them a hard letter telling them to repent, and they had, and they'd done so in a way that put their own genuine zeal on display. What is zeal? Zeal is having a passion for something, some truth or person or cause. Zeal is having a passion that compels you to to promote and rise up and defend and advance that cause. So if you're zealous for a particular author, well, then you read all of their books, and then you read all of them again, and then you tell all of your friends and perhaps perfect strangers to read them too. If you're zealous for a sports team, then you cheer them on until you're hoarse and you follow all of their ups and downs and ups again all season long. If you're zealous for a recording artist, then you listen to their music a lot. And you rise up and you defend their good name against the charge that their music isn't a whole lot. Zeal is that kind of passion. It fills you and it spills out of you. People can see it. People can tell. And so, just to be clear, zeal is not merely a personality trait of being relatively hot-blooded. Some people are that way. Some people are not. It's also not a mood of just feeling fiery 
in a given moment. Sometimes you feel that way. A lot of times you don't. Zeal is deeper than all of that. It's a disposition of your heart to feel passion about some cause. And that's something that can be true of you, whether you're personally hot-blooded or fiery or not. That's what zeal is. And sure enough, the Corinthians had turned from their sin back to God in a way that put their own zeal for God and even for Paul on display. He mentions zeal several times in this passage. Verse 7, he's talking about how Titus has come to them with the good news of their repentance. And what does he say in verse 7? He says that Titus has told us of your zeal for me. That's Paul saying that, your zeal for me. In other words, the Corinthians had repented in a way that showed that they were willing, after all, to stand up for Paul. To take a stand, after all, for his teaching, his authority, his place as an apostle. So that Paul can even talk about your zeal for me. So that's in verse 7. And then look look down at verse 11. Verse 11, he says it again. He says, see what zeal your godly grief has produced in you. He wants them to appreciate this and notice this about themselves. He's saying, don't overlook the fact that this zeal really is true of you and has come out of you. It has shown. That's a good thing. Don't overlook it. So verse 11, we see it. Verse 7, we saw it before. It's something of a recurring idea here in this passage. This idea of zeal, perhaps surprisingly, in connection with repentance. So I I want us to explore this a bit more deeply today. Two main points, two markers to guide us as we go. First of all, the zeal of the penitent. We'll focus on that one mostly. And then after that, a brief word or two about the zeal of God. So that's how we'll proceed here. The zeal of the penitent. And then a bit more briefly, the zeal of God. So first of all, the zeal of the penitent, the zeal of the one who turns back to God. We might wonder at times if it's even possible to be zealous in repentance. We might harbor that suspicion that these two don't really go well together, zeal and repentance. We might think that in a moment when we're turning back to God after having failed God in some way, That the only thing that's to be felt, the only thing that we're permitted to feel, is the sorrow of knowing that we sinned against God. And we might suspect that that sorrow, at least for a while, will quench whatever passion or zeal we might feel for God. So that we're left with nothing else but simply feeling subdued, chastened, quieted deflated, no time for zeal. We might even think, I've just failed God. I don't trust my own heart enough to think that there might be real zeal for God in me. We might even think 
that the people around me, the people who know about my sin, the people who bore the brunt of my sin, they won't trust me either. They won't believe because of what I've done. They won't believe that there might be real passion for God in me. They'll think that I'm just putting on an act. And so we think, well, the most I can hope for right now is to say the right things and to ask for forgiveness and to take the right actions and to repair the situation as well as I can. But maybe my heart will come along later. And until then, I'll just remain in hiding. This is no time for zeal. But for the Corinthians, it wasn't like that at all. These people had failed God. They they had failed God by failing Paul. And in the immediate aftermath of that failure, when they get this letter from Paul and they respond rightly to it, they put on display a real passion for God and for Paul himself. They didn't just mope around deflated for months. There was a fire, there was a passion in the way that they responded. It must have been reflected, for example, in the way that they spoke about their sin. It must have been displayed in the way that they owned up to their responsibility and didn't make excuses. The zeal must have been reflected in the care that they took to do what had to be done in order to make things right. It must have been displayed in the way that they wanted Paul to know that they had repented because they'd hurt him deeply in all of these ways. They must have put on display that, yeah, that zeal was there and it was real. And Paul, for his part, trusted that it was true. He rejoiced at it precisely because he trusted that it was genuine, that what Titus was describing to him was a genuine heart reality in these Corinthian believers. The zeal of the penitent. So you see it here in the Corinthians. And this is a point that ought to bear fruit in our own lives today. So a few few points of application when it comes to the zeal of the one who has repented. First of all, let me say this to us. Take comfort Christian, take comfort. I know that in those moments when you realize that you've sinned against God, perhaps you've sinned against him in a big way, it's very possible to become so discouraged that in effect you give up on yourself. You give up on your own heart. You start to wonder if you're a lost cause. Could it be that my heart must be beyond hope? beyond rescue, beyond restoration. That's why I say take comfort, because there's real comfort to be gained from the example of the Corinthians. These people had sinned in a way that was so shocking and so egregious that it got them a painful rebuke from the Apostle Paul himself. That's how bad it was. And they were not a lost cause. Their hearts were not beyond hope, not beyond rescue. Their hearts weren't dead. They'd blown it big time, and right away in their repenting, they put on display just how alive their hearts really were. 
So when you've sinned, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your own heart. Don't give up on the possibility of passion for God, even at your lowest. Because it can still be there, and God can still fan it into flame and make it show. So that's why I say, first of all, take comfort. Here's a second related to it. Be encouraged. Be encouraged, then, to rise up and seek this zeal. Go after it. By the grace of God, by the grace of the Holy Spirit at work in your heart. In a moment when you're turning back to God after having failed God in some way, don't be afraid to say that you love God and to show it and to seek in those moments to grow in that very zeal. To show it, for example, in the way that you keep coming to church and praising God. Instead of, you know, staying away for a few weeks as if that's going to be an atoning sacrifice. To show it in the way that you're willing to speak about Christ as the one in whom you found that forgiveness. To show it by doing your best to make things right with the people that you've wronged. To show it in the way that you press on in all of the other callings that God has given you because you will not stop serving him simply because you recently failed him. That's what zeal looks like even after you've sinned. Don't be afraid to be passionate for God. Even then. Related to that, here's a third point. The first was take comfort. The second was be encouraged. The third was this. Don't be afraid of what other people might think. When you've sinned against God and you've come back to him, you want to be thorough about it and you want to be clear about it, you might very well find yourself thinking, what are other people going to think? Are they going to believe me or are they going to suspect that this is all just a show? Well, you cannot control what other people think about you. All you can do is do your best faithfully to demonstrate that you mean it and to rest in the knowledge that Christ himself knows that you mean it. And isn't that the main thing? There are examples of this in Scripture. You think what the Corinthians did was bad. How about being a tax collector in the days of Jesus? How about Zacchaeus? That despicable and despised little man. And then he turned back to God and Jesus called him down out of that tree. And Zacchaeus said, I'll restore everything that I stole and more. There's zeal. Right? There's passion. Can't you just imagine in that moment what some people were thinking when they heard him say that? When they heard him make that promise? Well, the only thing that matters is what Jesus thought. And Jesus Rejoiced in it. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus rejoiced in the genuine zeal of a man who had turned back to God. And brothers and sisters, Jesus rejoices in your repentance too. Let's take another example. You think being a tax collector is bad in the days of Jesus. How about being somebody who breathed threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord? Acts 9. 
Someone who persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, Galatians 1. Someone who was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent of Christ and his church, 1 Timothy 1. In other words, how about Paul himself? Paul had been a despicable man. And then he turned back to God. And then he started preaching the gospel of God. The very gospel that he had been trying to snuff out and suffering for it. There's zeal. There's passion. Well, again, can't you just imagine what some people were thinking when Paul showed up at church and said he was a disciple? We're told in Acts chapter 9, they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. That's what they were thinking. But again, the main thing is what Jesus thought of him. The main thing is what Jesus knew to be true of Paul, which is that he had indeed turned back to God. The point is, Paul, who's writing 2 Corinthians and who's dealing pastorally with the Corinthians when they need to repent and then in the aftermath of their repentance, Paul knew from his own experience what it was like for other people not to trust your zeal and repentance. Paul knew what that was like, but he was zealous anyway. He wasn't going to let what they thought quench his newfound passion for God. So wasn't Paul the perfect man to deal pastorally with, their Corinthian, with the Corinthians when it was their turn to turn back to God with passion for God? And so he did. He dealt with them pastorally. He was the perfect man for this pastoral moment. Don't be afraid of what other people might think. You cannot control that. It's what Christ thinks. It's what Christ knows about you that matters most by far. And then here's a a fourth and final point of application driving home the zeal of the penitent. And it's related to the other one. The the third point we just talked about was don't don't be afraid of what other people are going to think about you. Well, now here's the fourth one, which is don't be cynical in the way that you think about other people who are saying that they've come back to God. Don't be cynical about your brothers in Christ and their repentance. This is the golden rule. When you're turning back to God, you want your brothers and sisters to trust that your zeal is real. Well, then treat them in that same way. Don't be so cynical as to assume that they're just putting on an act when they're claiming to have come back to God and putting zeal on display as they do so. Don't don't make that your presupposition. Don't make that your bent. That's no way to go through life, no way to live the Christian life. Sure, don't be naive. It's certainly true, and we we can admit this, that Some people claim to be repentant and they don't mean it. That happens. But don't make that your starting point. Don't make that your your initial inclination to be distrustful of others in the church who have come back to God. Scripture is full of stories of people who turned away from sin back to God, and it was genuine. Church history is full of those stories, too. And isn't that the story of every believer? including you. 
That's why I say don't be cynical about this in the way that we, you relate to those around you in the church. It's all the more remarkable when the sin that they're turning away from was a sin against you and you believe it anyway. That their repentance is genuine and you receive them back. How beautiful is that? Like Zacchaeus. All those people who heard him say, I'll restore everything that I stole and more, he's probably saying that in the hearing of some people that he stole from. Or the Apostle Paul. All of those Christians who couldn't believe at first that he was a Christian, it wasn't all that long ago, that he wanted them locked up or worse. For that matter, the Corinthians. It was Paul himself who had been hurt and hurt deeply by their sin. And now they're turning back to God. And they're turning back with zeal. And naturally, they want him to believe that they mean it. And he did. Which is why he writes this letter bursting with joy because he's gotten the news from Titus. It's like those stories that you hear about some soldier who did dishonorable deeds in warfare and years later he repents of it and he tracks down one of the enemy soldiers that he wronged and he says, I've repented, I was wronged, will you forgive me? And through tears, that one who used to be an enemy believes him and embraces him and receives him back and a new relationship is born. It's all the more remarkable, all the more glorious When you're graciously willing to credit the repentance of somebody who once did you wrong. And Paul's an example of that here. So as we think about the zeal of the one who turns back to God. Let me encourage you to take all four of those to heart. Take comfort in this. The experience of the Corinthians. Be encouraged to seek and show this. As the Corinthians did. Don't be afraid of what other people think. And don't be cynical. Instead, be charitable when it comes to your brothers and sisters around you. The zeal of the penitent. Now, briefly, if that was our first heading, here's the second of two, which is the zeal of God. The zeal of God. Whenever you repent... Whenever you turn away from sin back to God and you do so with passion, you're turning back to a God who was zealous for you first. Imagine that. You're turning back to a God who zealously sought you out first so as to bring you back. That's the only possible explanation for the fact that you actually have turned back to him. The only possible explanation is that you didn't really set this in motion. But God did, working graciously by his spirit. Our God is a God who zealously saves his people. That famous passage in Isaiah chapter 9, where it says, For to us a child is born, to us A son is given. What does it say a few verses later? It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
It's not just that God's going to send a Savior. It's that God is going to send a Savior, and that very action is going to be a demonstration of his own divine passion for his people. His heart was in it. That's why I read from Jeremiah 32 earlier in our service. It's another great example of this in the Old Testament. Remember Jeremiah 32, it's a very low moment for the people of God, and yet Jeremiah has a hopeful word for them that one day God's going to bring them back from exile and make them flourish again. There's that promise of a salvation to come, and God says this in verse 41. I will rejoice in doing them good. You see that? It's not just that I'm going to do good. I will rejoice in it. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Every time I read that, I have to go back and read it again to make sure, wait a minute, is God still speaking here? Is this God who's talking about doing something with all my heart and with all my soul? And the answer is yes. He's saying, I'm going to give my people a new heart so that they turn back to me from the heart. And I'm going to do that, says the Lord, with all my heart and with all my soul. That's the zeal of God. That's the kind of God that you turn back to whenever you repent. And just knowing that he sought you out with that kind of zeal and passion and even joy to bring you back, just knowing that can and ought to have the effect of setting you free to go back to him with a zeal that fits his for you. And here, finally, we can fix our eyes on Christ because the zeal of God of course, was on display in the life, in the ministry, and even in the suffering of the Son of God. Christ himself undertook with zeal the mission that his Father had given him, the mission to save you, to save us by going to the cross. Jesus may have gone physically struggling to his death, because he'd been beaten and the cross was heavy. But more profoundly, every step that he took to the place where they crucified him, he took with passion for his father and for his father's purpose and for his father's people. And that includes us today. The zeal of God, the zeal of the Son of God. So, brothers and sisters, we can, we can acknowledge, we can freely admit as we're thinking about repentance again today, the spiritual moral U-turn that is repentance. We can acknowledge it's not easy to turn around. Sometimes it's especially hard to turn around, to turn from sin back to God because of all of the conversations and consequences and changes and repercussions. It can be hard. But doesn't it make it a whole lot easier to know that you're turning around to go home? And the God that you'll find there, the God who is your home, loves you with all his heart 
and with all his soul, that his heart is aflame with zeal for your salvation. That's our God. So let's never be afraid to turn around and go running back to him, back to the God who came running for us first in Jesus Christ. Let's pray again. Father, we stand amazed at this, the thought that you have that kind of zeal for us, that kind of holy divine passion and jealousy for our everlasting salvation. So should we be a people who turn back to you with zeal. We pray that you would forgive us insofar as we have lacked this. Even now, would you fan it into flame again that it might show whenever we come back to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.